Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaiva Narottamam Devim Sarasatim Vyasam Tato Jayamudhiraye We're continuing our reading of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And uh, we're taking up at chapter number 30, Krishna's hiding from the gopis. When Krishna suddenly disappeared from the company of the gopis, they searched for him everywhere. After not finding him anywhere, they became afraid and almost mad after him. They were simply thinking of the pastimes of Krishna in great love and affection. Being absorbed in thought of him, they experienced loss of memory, and with dampened eyes they began to see the very pastimes of Krishna, his beautiful talks with them, his embracing, kissing, and other activities. Being so attracted to Krishna, they imitated his dancing, his walking, and his smiling, as if they themselves were Krishna. Due to Krishna's absence, they all became crazy. Each one of them told the others that she was Krishna himself. Soon they all assembled together and chanted Krishna's name very loudly as they moved from one part of the forest to another, searching for him. Actually, Krishna is all pervasive. He is in the sky and he is in the forest. He is within the heart and he is always everywhere. The gopis therefore began to question the trees and plants about Krishna. There were various types of big trees and small plants in the forest, and the gopis addressed them. Dear banyan tree, have you seen the son of Maharajananda passing this way, laughing and playing on his flute? He has stolen our hearts and gone away. If you have seen him, kindly inform us which way he has gone. Dear Ashoka tree, Dear Naga flower tree and Champaka flower tree, have you seen the younger brother of Balaram pass this way? He has disappeared because of our pride. The gopis were aware of the reason for Krishna's sudden disappearance. They could understand that when they had been enjoying Krishna, they thought themselves to be the most fortunate women within the universe. And since they were feeling proud, Krishna had disappeared immediately just to curb their pride. Krishna does not like his devotees to be proud of their service to him. He accepts everyone's service, but he does not like one devotee to proudly consider himself better than others. If sometimes there are such feelings, Krishna ends them by changing his attitude toward the devotee. The gopis then address the Tulsi plants. Dear Tulsi, you are much beloved by Lord Krishna because your leaves are always at his lotus feet. Dear Malati flower, dear Malika flower, dear Jasmine flower, 
All of you must have been touched by Krishna while he was passing this way after giving us transcendental enjoyment. Have you seen Madhava passing this way? O mango trees, O trees of jackfruit, O pear trees and asana trees, O blackberries and bale trees and trees of the kadamba flower, you are all very pious trees to be living on the bank of the Jamuna. Krishna must have passed through this way. Will you kindly let us know which way he has gone? The gopis then looked upon the ground they were traversing and began to address the earth. Dear earthly planet, we do not know how many penances and austerities you have undergone to be now living with the footprints of Lord Krishna upon you. You are very jolly. The hair is on your body. Are these jubilant trees and plants? Lord Krishna must have been very much pleased with you. Otherwise, how could he have embraced you in the form of Varaha, the boar? When you were submerged in water, he delivered you, taking the whole weight of your existence on his tusks. After addressing the innumerable trees and plants and the earth, they turned their faces toward the beautiful deer, who were looking at them very pleasingly. It appears, they addressed the deer, that Krishna, who is the supreme Narayan himself, must have passed through this way along with his companion Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune. Otherwise, how is it possible that the aroma of his garland, which is smeared with the red kumkum from the breasts of the goddess of fortune, can be perceived in the breeze blowing here? It appears that they must have passed through here and touched your bodies, and thus you are feeling so pleasant and are looking toward us with sympathy. Will you kindly, therefore, inform us which way Krishna has gone? Krishna is the well-wisher of Vrindavana. He is as kind to you as to us. Therefore, after leaving us, he must have been present in your company. O fortunate trees, we are thinking of Krishna, the younger brother of Balaram. While passing through here, with one hand resting on the shoulder of the goddess of fortune and the other hand twirling a lotus flower, he must have been very much pleased to accept your obeisances and he must have glanced at you with great pleasure. Some of the gopis then addressed their gopi friends. Dear friends, why don't you question these creepers who are so jubilantly embracing the big trees as if the trees were their husbands? It appears that the flowers of the creepers must have been touched by the nails of Krishna. Otherwise, how could they feel so jubilant? After searching for Krishna here and there, the gopis became fatigued, and then they began to talk like mad women. They could satisfy themselves only by imitating the different pastimes of Krishna. One of them imitated the demon Putana, and one of them imitated Krishna and sucked her breast. One gopi imitated a hand-driven cart, and another gopi lay down beneath the cart and threw up her legs, touching the wheels of the cart, as Krishna did to kill the demon Shakatasura. One gopi imitated child Krishna and lay down on the ground, and one gopi became the demon Trinavarta and carried the small child Krishna by force into the sky. And one of the gopis began to imitate Krishna while he was attempting to walk, ringing his ankle bells. Two gopis imitated Krishna and Balaram, and many others imitated their cowherd boyfriends. One gopi assumed the form of Bakasura, and another forced her to fall down as the demon Bakasura did when he was killed. Similarly, another gopi defeated Vatsasura. Just as Krishna used to call his cows by their different names, 
So the gopis imitated him, calling the cows by their respective names. One of the gopis began to play on a flute, and another praised her the way Krishna's boyfriends praised him while he played on his flute. One of the gopis took another gopi on her shoulders, just as Krishna used to ta take his boyfriends. Absorbed in thoughts of Krishna, the gopi who was carrying her friend began to boast that she was Krishna herself. All of you just see my movement. One of the gopis raised her hand with her covering garments and said, Now, don't be afraid of the torrents of rain and severe hurricanes. I'll save you. In this way, she imitated the lifting of Govardhan Hill. One gopi forcibly put her feet on the head of another gopi and said, You rascal Kaliya, I shall punish you severely. You must leave this place. I have descended to this earth to punish all kinds of miscreants. Another gopi told her friends, Just see, the flames of the forest fire are coming to devour us. Please close your eyes, and I shall immediately save you from this imminent danger. <clears throat> In this way, all the gopis were madly feeling the absence of Krishna. They inquired about him from the trees and plants. In some places they found the, the imprints of the marks on the soles of his feet, namely the flag, the lotus flower, the trident, the thunderbolt, etc. After seeing those footprints, they exclaimed, Oh, here is the impression of the marks on the soles of Krishna's feet. All the marks, such as the flag, the lotus flower, the trident, and the thunderbolt, are distinctly visible here. They began to follow the footprints, and shortly they saw another set of footprints beside them, and immediately they became very sorry. Dear friends, just see, whose are these other footprints? They are beside the footprints of the son of Maharaj Nanda. It is certainly Krishna passing through, resting his hand on some other gopi, exactly as an elephant goes side by side with his beloved mate. We must therefore understand that this particular gopi served Krishna with greater affectionate love than ourselves. Because of this, although he has left us, he could not leave her company. He has taken her along with him. Dear friends, just imagine how the dust of this place is transcendentally glorious. The dust of the lotus feet of Krishna is worshipped even by Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva and the goddess Fortune, Lakshmi. But at the same time, we are very sorry that this particular gopi has gone along with Krishna for she is enjoying the nectar of Krishna's kisses and leaving us aside to lament. O oh friends, just see, at this particular spot, we do not see the footprints of that gopi. It appears that because there were some pinpricks from the dried grass, Krishna took Radharani on his shoulder. Oh, she is so dear to him. Krishna must have picked some flowers in this spot to satisfy Radharani, because here, where he stood erect to get the flowers from the high branches of, a tr of the tree, we find only half the impression of his feet. Dear friends, just see how Krishna must have sat down here with Radharani and tried to set flowers in her hair. You can be certain that both of them sat together here. 
Krishna is self-sufficient. He has nothing to enjoy from any other source. Yet just to satisfy his devotee, he treated Radharani exactly as a lusty boy treats his girlfriend. Krishna is so kind that he always tolerates the disturbances created by his girlfriends. In this way, all the gopis pointed out the faults of the particular gopi who had been taken alone by Krishna. They said that this chief gopi, Radharani, must be very proud of her position, thinking herself the greatest of the gopis. Yet how could Krishna take her away alone, leaving all of us aside, unless she is extraordinarily qualified and beautiful? She must have taken Krishna into the deep forest and told him, My dear Krishna, I am now very tired. I cannot go any further. Please, carry me wherever you like. When Krishna was spoken to in this way, he might have told Radharani, All right, better get on my shoulder. But immediately Krishna must have disappeared and now Radharani must be lamenting for him. My dear lover, my dearest, you are so fine and so powerful. Where have you gone? I am nothing but your obedient, most obedient maidservant. I am very much aggrieved. Please come and be with me again. Krishna, however, help, Krishna, however is not coming to her. He must be watching her from a distant place and enjoying her sorrow. All the gopis then went further and further into the forest, searching out Krishna. But when they learned that actually Radharani was left alone by Krishna, they became very sorry. This is the test of Krishna consciousness. In the beginning, they were a little envious that Krishna had taken Radharani alone, leaving aside all the other gopis. But as soon as they knew that Krishna had also left Radharani and that she was alone lamenting for him, they became more sympathetic to her. The gopis found Radharani and heard everything from her about how she had misbehaved with Krishna and how she was proud and was insulted for her pride. After hearing all this, they became actually very sympathetic then all the gopis, including Radharani, proceeded further into the forest until they could no longer see the moonlight. When they saw that it was getting gradually darker, they stopped. Their mind and intelligence became absorbed in thoughts of Krishna. They all imitated the activities of Krishna and his speeches. Due to their heart and soul being completely given to Krishna, they began to chant his glories, completely forgetting their family interests. In this way, all the gopis returned to the bank of the Yamuna and assembled there. Hey, Hare Rama! The gopis. Chapter 31, Songs by the Gopis. One gopi said, My dear Krishna, ever since you took your birth in this land, we request you, again, come to us. Therefore, we request you, that you, again come to us. 
Another gopi said, My dear Krishna, you are the life and soul, even of the lotus flower that grows on the water of the lakes made transparent by the clear rains of autumn. Although the lotus flowers are so beautiful, without your glance, they fade away. Similarly, without you, we are also dying. Actually, we are not your wives, but are, we are your slaves. You never spend any money for us, yet we are simply attracted by your glance. Now, if we die without receiving your glance, you'll be responsible for our deaths. Certainly the killing of women is a great sin, and if you do not come to see us and we die, you will suffer the reactions of sin. So please come see us. Do not think that one can be killed only by certain weapons. We are being killed by your absence. You should consider how you are responsible for killing women. We are always grateful to you because you have protected us many times from the poisonous water of the Jamuna, from the serpent Kaliya, from Bakasura, from the anger of Indra and his torrents of rain, from the forest fire and so many other incidents. You are the greatest and most powerful of all. It is wonderful for you to protect us from so many dangers, but we are surprised that you are neglecting us at this moment. Dear Krishna, dear friend, we know very well that you are not actually the son of Mother Yashoda or the cowherd man Nanda Maharaj. You are the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the super soul of all living entities. You have, out of your own causeless mercy, appeared in this world requested by Lord Brahma for the protection of the world. It is by your kindness only that you have appeared in the dynasty of Yadu. O best, in the dynasty of Yadu, if anyone afraid of this materialistic way of life takes shelter at your lotus feet, you never deny him protection. Your movements are sweet and you are independent, touching the goddess of fortune with one hand and in the other bearing a lotus flower. That is your extraordinary feature. Please, therefore, come before us and bless us with the lotus flower in your hand. Dear Krishna, you are the killer of all the fears of the inhabitants of Vrindavana. You are the supremely powerful hero, and we know that you can kill the unnecessary pride of your devotee, as well as the pride of women like us, simply by your beautiful smile. We are simply your maidservants and slaves. Please, therefore, accept us by showing us your beautiful lotus-like face. Dear Krishna, actually, we have become very lusty, having been touched by your lotus feet. Your lotus feet certainly kill all kinds of sinful activities of devotees who have taken shelter there. You are so kind that even the ordinary animals take shelter under your lotus feet. Your lotus feet are also the residence of the goddess of fortune. Yet you danced on the heads of the Kaliya serpent with them. Now we are requesting you to kindly place your lotus feet on our breasts and pacify our lusty desires to touch you. O oh Lord, your attractive eyes like the lotus are so nice and pleasing. Your sweet words are so fascinating that they please even the greatest scholars who also become attracted to you. We are also attracted by your speaking and by the beauty of your face and eyes. Please therefore satisfy us by your nectarian kisses. Dear Lord, words spoken by you or words describing your activities are full of nectar and simply by speaking or hearing your words 
one can be saved from the blazing fire of material existence. Great demigods like Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva are always engaged in chanting the glories of your words. They do so to eradicate the sinful activities of all living entities in the material world. If one simply tries to hear your transcendental words, he can very quickly be elevated to the platform of pious activities. For the Vaishnavas, your words give transcendental pleasure, and saintly persons who are engaged in distributing your transcendental message all over the world are first-class charitable persons. This was confirmed by Rupa Goswami when he addressed Lord Chaitanya as the most munificent incarnation because he distributed the words of Krishna and love of Krishna free of charge all over the world. Dear Krishna, the gopis continued, you are very cunning. You can imagine how much we are distressed simply by remembering your cunning smile, your pleasing glance, your walking with us in the forest of Vrindavan and your auspicious meditations. Your talks with us in lonely places were heartwarming. Now we are all aggrieved to remember your behavior. Please save us. Dear Krishna, certainly you know how much we are saddened when you go out of Vrindavan village to tend the cows in the forest. How we are afflicted simply to think that your soft lotus feet are being pricked by the dry grass and the tiny stones in the forest. We are so attached to you that we always think simply of your lotus feet. <clears throat> o Krishna, when you return from the pasturing ground with the animals, we see your face covered by your curly hair and dusted by the hoof dust of the cows. We see your mildly smiling face and our desire to enjoy you increases. Oh, dear Krishna, you are the supreme lover and you always give shelter to surrendered souls. You fulfill everyone's desire. Your lotus feet are worshipped even by Lord Brahma, the creator of the universe. On whoever worships your lotus feet, you without a doubt always bestow your benedictions. So kindly be pleased with us and keep your lotus feet on our breasts and thus relieve our present distresses. Dear Krishna, we are seeking your kisses, which you offer even to your flute. The vibration of your flute enchants the whole world and our hearts also. Kindly therefore return and kiss us with your mouth of nectar. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 31st chapter of Krishna, Songs by the Gopis. Chapter 32 <clears throat> Krishna returns to the Gopis. When Lord Krishna finally reappeared among the assembled Gopis, he looked very beautiful, just befitting a person with all kinds of opulences. In the Brahma Sangita it is stated, Ananda Chinmayarasa Pratibhamita Bihi. Krishna alone is not particularly beautiful, but when his energy, especially his pleasure energy, represented by Radharani, expands, he looks very magnificent. The Mayabad conception of perfection, an absolute truth without potency, is due to insufficient knowledge. Actually, outside the exhibition of his different potencies, the absolute truth is not complete. Ananda Chinmaya Rasa means that his body is a transcendental form of eternal bliss. 
and knowledge. Krishna is always surrounded by different potencies and therefore he is perfect and beautiful. We understand from the Brahma Sangita and Skanda Purana that Krishna is always surrounded by many thousands of goddesses of fortune. The gopis are all goddesses of fortune and Krishna took them hand in hand on the bank of the Yamuna. It is said in the Skanda Purana that out of many thousands of gopis, 16,000 are prominent. Out of those 16,000 gopis, 108 are especially prominent. Out of these 108 gopis, 8 gopis are still more prominent. Out of those 8 gopis, Radharani and Chandravali are even more prominent. And out of these 2 gopis, Radharani is the most prominent. When Krishna entered the forest on the bank of the river Yamuna, the moonlight dissipated the surrounding darkness. Due to the season, flowers like the Kunda and Kadamba were blooming and a gentle breeze was carrying their aroma. Due to the aroma, the bees were also flying in the breeze, thinking that the aroma was honey. The gopis made a seat for Krishna by leveling the soft sand and placing cloths over it. The gopis who were gathered there had almost the gopis who were gathered there had almost all been followers of the Vedas. In their previous births, during Lord Ramachandra's advent, they had been Vedic scholars who desired the association of Lord Ramachandra in conjugal love. Ramachandra had given them the benediction that they would be present for the advent of Lord Krishna and he would fulfill their desires. During Krishna's advent, the Vedic scholars took birth in the shape of the gopis in Vrindavan. As young gopis, they got the association of Krishna in fulfillment of their previous birth desire. The ultimate goal of their perfect desire was attained and they were so joyous that they had nothing further to desire. This is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita. If one attains the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then he has no desire for anything. When the gopis had Krishna in their company, not only all their grief, but their lamenting in the absence of Krishna was relieved. They felt they had no desire to be fulfilled. Fully satisfied in the company of Krishna, they spread their cloths on the ground. These garments were made of fine linen and smeared with the red kumkum which decorated their breasts. With great care, they spread a sitting place for Krishna. Krishna was their life and soul and they created a very comfortable seat for him. Sitting on the seat amongst the gopis, Krishna became more beautiful. Great yogis like Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, or even Lord Shesha and others always try to fix their attention upon Krishna in their hearts. But here, the gopis actually saw Krishna seated before them on their cloths. In the society of gopis, Krishna looked very beautiful. They were the most beautiful damsels within the three worlds, and they assembled together around Krishna. 
Krishna seated himself beside each of the many gopis, and it may be said herein, how did he, how he did this? Krishna seated himself beside each of the many gopis, and it may be asked herein how he did this. There is a significant word in this verse, Ishwara. As it, as it is stated in the Bhagavad Gita, Ishwara Sarvabhutanam. Ishwara refers to the Supreme Lord as the Super Soul, seated in everyone's heart. Krishna also manifested this potency of expansion as Paramatma in this gathering with the gopis. Krishna was sitting by the side of each gopi, unseen by the others. Krishna was so kind to the gopis that instead of sitting in their hearts to be appreciated in yogic meditation, he seated himself by their sides. By seating himself, by seating himself outside, he showed special favor to the gopis, who were the select beauties of all creation. Having gotten their most beloved Lord, the gopis began to please him by moving their eyebrows and smiling and also by suppressing their anger. Some of them took his lotus feet in their laps and massaged them. And while smiling, they confidentially expressed their suppressed anger and said, Dear Krishna, we are ordinary women of Vrindavan and we do not know much about Vedic knowledge. What is right and what is wrong? We therefore put a question to you. And since you were very learned, you can answer it properly. In dealings between lovers, we find that there are three classes of men. One class simply receives. Another class reciprocates favorably, even if the lover is very contrary. And the third class neither acts contrary nor answers favorably in dealings of love. So out of these three classes, which do you prefer? Or which do you call honest? In answer, Krishna said, My dear friends, persons who simply reciprocate the loving dealings of the other party are just like merchants. They give in loving affairs as much as they get from the other party. Practically, there is no question of love. It is simply self-interested or self-centered business dealing. Even those without a tinge of loving affairs are better than these merchants. Better than the first class is the second class of men who love in spite of the opposite party's contrariness. Such sincere love can be seen when the father and mother love their child, children, in spite of their children's neglect. The third class neither reciprocate nor neglect. They can be further divided into two classes. One compromises the self one comprises the self-satisfied, who do not require anyone's love. They are called Atmarama, which means they are absorbed in the thought of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and so do not care whether one loves them or not. But another class comprises ungrateful men, 
They're called callous. The men in this group revolt against superior persons. For instance, a son, in spite of receiving all kinds of things from loving parents, may be callous and not reciprocate. Those in this class are generally known as Guru Druha, which means they receive favors from the parents or the spiritual master and yet neglect them. Krishna indirectly answered the questions of the gopis, even those questions which implied that Krishna did not properly reciprocate their dealings. In answer, Krishna said that he, as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is self-satisfied. He does not require anyone's love, but at the same time, he said that he is not ungrateful. My dear friends, Krishna continued, you might be aggrieved by my words and acts, but you must know that sometimes I do not reciprocate my devotees' dealings with me. My devotees are very much attached to me, but sometimes I do not reciprocate their feelings properly in order to increase their love for me more and more. If I can very easily be approached by them, they might think Krishna is so easily available. So sometimes I do not respond. If a person has no money, but after some time accumulates some wealth and then loses it, he will think of the lost property 24 hours a day. Similarly, in order to increase the love of my devotees, sometimes I appear to be lost to them, and instead of forgetting me, they feel their loving sentiments for me increase. My dear friends, do not think for a moment that I have been dealing with you as I do with ordinary devotees. I know what you are. You have forsaken all kinds of social and religious obligations. You have given up all connection with your parents. Without caring for social convention and religious obligations, you have come to me and loved me. And I am so much obliged to you that I cannot treat you as ordinary devotees. Do not think that I was away from you. I was near to you. I was simply seeing how much you were anxious for me in my absence. So please do not try to find fault with me because you consider me so dear to you. Kindly excuse me if I have done anything wrong. I cannot repay your continuous love for me. Even, th even throughout the lifetimes of the demigods, in the heavenly planets. It is impossible to repay you or show enough gratitude for your love. Therefore, please be satisfied by your own pious activities. You have displayed exemplary attraction for me, overcoming the greatest difficulties arising from family connections. Please be satisfied with your highly exemplary character for it is not possible for me to repay my debt to you. The exemplary character of devotional service manifested by the devotees of Vrindavan is the purest type of devotion. It is enjoined in authoritative shastras that devotional service must be ahaituki and apratiyata. This means that devotional service to Krishna 
cannot be checked by political or religious convention. The stage of devotional service is always transcendental. The gopis particularly showed pure devotional service toward Krishna, so much so that Krishna himself remained indebted to them. Lord Chaitanya thus said that the devotional service manifested by the gopis in Vrindavan excelled all other methods of approaching the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 32nd chapter of Krishna. Krishna returns to the gopis. Everyone okay? Anything you need to say? Yes, Prabhu? I really like this sentence. Um, and I kind of have a reflection just from the past couple of days. I've been blessed enough to get the association of Krim and the boss and the way we've been going on Parikram over them. And these two sentences really exemplify um, what I've been getting from meeting the residents of Govardhan and the residents of Vrindavan. The exemplary character of devotional service manifested by the devotees of Vrindavan is the purest type of devotion. It is enjoined in the authoritative shastra that devotional service must be a hoitiki, a pratiyata. When you go to some of these temples like Vrindavan or Yemi, we met this devotee yesterday on Govardhan Parikrama. And he was telling me that this devotee goes out there every day and he distributes books. And he's just a simple Ramachari, I think, from Spangal. He sets up there every day. And it's just like this humble offering of Prabhupada. And he just goes into your Sets up where? Something, uh, I mean, Between Uttapakon and Rautakon. Between where? Between Uttapakon and Yeah. I've never seen it. Uh, right on the mark? Mm -hmm. I see. Prabhupada's books? Mm -hmm. I never saw it. There's a giant document on this Nice. And uh, just, just that simple offering. I'm just going out there every day with this cart and setting up the books. And what was his hours that he told me? 6 a.m. to 9 p.m.? He comes early in the morning. He's there until And he's so blissful doing it. And so I just, that sentence, I was just thinking of him. Nice. How many examples there are all around this area? Yeah. Two. One, two. I've got a question. Um, one of the first things we just heard was about the pride of the gopis and how Krishna left them because of the pride. Um, in that paragraph, it said that they were proud, that they felt that they were the most fortunate women in the universe because of having Krishna right there. So it seems like that's like the correct kind of pride. Okay. I'm wondering how is that uh, incorrect? Who well, we said it was incorrect? Well, it... Our acharyas say that actually because of the object of their pride, it was actually pride in Krishna. They were proud because Krishna was the 
personality that they were being favored by. So in that sense, their pride was correct. So it depends on the angle of vision you're looking at. Everything depends on the angle of vision, how you're looking at it. But from Krishna's point of view, he doesn't like the devotees to be proud that they're special in any way. So both of those are correct at the same time. And therefore he removed himself so that uh, rather than feel proud because they were special and with, Gop and, and with Krishna, they would feel uh, his separation more and more to the point where Krishna would be forced by that love to come before them again. Somebody was that? Somebody next? Then, then, Rasikar. Um, I like to point, um, sometimes Krishna does not respond to our loving sentiments, otherwise we think Krishna is easily attained. Mm. Um, like when you first join, maybe uh, you chanted your first 16 rounds and you just got a, like an advanced deposit in your spiritual account and then sometimes you chant your rounds and you're not, you're not feeling the, you know, blissed out or something Krishna is holding back, even though you might be chanting even attentively. But, uh, so this is, you know, Krishna is not so cheap. Yeah. Rasikachaya. Sitting beside each gopi, unseen by any other gopis. Yeah. So, how is this possible? What is the explanation for that? <clears throat> uh, Srila Jiva Goswami describes in the Tapasandarbha that unless you actually accept the achincha potency that Krishna has, that Krishna can do anything. He can do anything. He can do whatever he likes. There's no laws that can get in his way. So that's how it's possible. Krishna can do that. He can, he can be, and there's many times where Krishna does that in his Vrindavan pastimes. Sometimes when he's with his coward boyfriends taking lunch, you know, each of them will see that, you know, that Krishna's looking at him, just him or that there, he's just in front of him. Lord Chaitanya in Jagannath Puri, he appeared in seven different kirtan parties at once. Not everybody could see it. Only a few could see it. Surup Damodar, you know, Ramananda Roy, just a few could see. So that's the, that's the answer. That, that Krishna can do anything. Yes. And then when you, when you actually get that and you accept it fully, then whenever you hear, there's that famous story about Narada Muni and he was going to see Vishnu in Vaikuntha and he was passing by and he, he passed by a cobbler and a Brahmin. And each one of them asked uh, him, are you going to see the Lord of Vaikuntha? Yes. 
Can you ask him when my liberation is going to happen? When am I going to come back to him? And then he said, okay, I will. And so then uh, he went there and he asked him. And he said, when the Brahman will go? And he said, we have in a few hundred lifetimes. Some time. And then he asked about the cobbler. He said, he'll come back to me this lifetime. And Narada Muni was confused. He said, cobbler? Muchi? Engagement? Always touching, you know, like cow leather and skins of animals and working and making shoes and repairing shoes. And he's coming come right back and the Brahmin's going to have to wait. He said, well, when you go back and you ask, they ask you what he, I was doing, then you tell them that I was threading an elephant through the eye of a needle and pulling it back and forth, back and forth. So he said, well, so he did. And he got to the Brahmin and he said, the Brahmin said, oh, when will I see? Or no, he said, my Lord, was, you saw my Lord? Yes, what was he doing? He said he was pulling a needle, an elephant, through the eye of a needle, back and forth, back and forth. He says, oh, this is ridiculous. Are you just trying to tease me or something? You're trying to play with my mind? The Lord wouldn't do anything like that. He couldn't do. Nobody can do that. Then Narda noted, oh. Then he went to the cobbler and he asked the same thing. And he said, the Lord is... Cobbler asked and he said, the Lord is passing an elephant through the eye of a needle back and forth. And he started to cry, weep. He said, oh, my Lord is so wonderful. He can do anything. And then Narada understood, oh, now I understand. Mm. Why? He's going back immediately. So that's the answer to the question. I just read you the Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur's comments from the section about the gopis' pride, from the chapter, Krishna and the gopis meet for the rasa dance. Uh, text number 47. The gopis became proud of themselves for having received such special attention from Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and each of them thought herself to be the best of women on earth. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, the following situation was manifested by Krishna's Leela Shakti for the purpose of enhancing the sacred rapture in accordance with the logic presented in, the, in Bharat Muni's Nyatya Shastra. Quote, just as one cannot redden cloth or some other object without the use of red dye, in the same way the happiness of conjugal love, Samboga, cannot reach its fullness, Pushtim, without the experience of separation, vipralambhina. The pretense for creating this separation is described in this verse. After having obtained the respect of Krishna, the original form of the Personality of Godhead, who is the best among all men, maha-atmana, and because of being able to enjoy intimately with him, each gopi became proud, maninyo, thinking, I am the most fortunate woman, on the surface of the earth. Text 48, Lord Keshava, seeing the gopis too proud of their good fortune, wanted to relieve them of this pride and show them further mercy. Thus, he immediately disappeared. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur. 
Because Krishna was enjoying equally with all the gopis, Vrishabhanu Nandini, Radha, the leading gopi, manifested a haughty feeling, man, with angry eyes. The lesser ranking gopis became intoxicated, madam, with pride over their good fortune. Objecting to this, Krishna rectified the situation as described in this verse. Keep going. The word tasam of them can also be divided into ta, indicating them, the women of Raja, and sa, she, Radha. Thus the phrase should read, seeing the pride, saubhaga, madam, of the women of Raja and the anger, manam, of Radha. Another reading is tam saubhaga madam, instead of tat saubhaga madam. Keshava disappeared in order to nullify the pride of the gopis and to show special favor to the angry Radha. The word Keshava can be analyzed as Ka, Isha, Vayate. Ka means Lord Brahma, Isha means Shiva, and Vayate means to rule or control. For Keshava, who rules both Brahma and Shiva, what effort is necessary to curb the pride of the gopis? The word Keshava also suggests Keshan Vayate, one who cleans the hair, or Keshava Krishna, who is expert at dressing Radha's hair. Antara Diyata, a passive form, is an archaic usage meaning the same as Antardadhat, disappeared. From later verses it can be understood that Krishna forcibly removed Rishabhanu Nandini from the midst of the other gopis. To fulfill Krishna's desire, Yogamaya immediately arranged everything in such a way that the other gopis did not even notice Radha's departure. Thus spake Krishna Chakravarti Thakur. Amazing to me how Prabhupada takes the essence of his purports and weaves it into the, you know, his uh, Krishna devotion. Really, the uh, word pretense, the pretense for creating the separation is described in this verse. There's a way in which, uh, you know, the, the pride is pretense. Because it's really, obviously, transcendental pride, because it's being described here as man, or the kind of mood that <coughs> Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami mentions in the Adi Lila yeah. as being specifically pleasing to Krishna, where he says that when the gopis reproach me in a sulking mood, it's more relishable to me than the reverend hymns of the Vedas. And so it's not, so, not material pride at all. It's a spiritual emotion, which is described in detail in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and other places. But when all is said and done, it's like Navina, I think, pointed out earlier about the Leela, or somebody did. Um, you know, it's a pretense for that, as Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur was saying, to create the tension of the vipralamba. Yeah. There has to be some pretense. There are a lot of situations of pretense throughout Krishna's pastimes. For instance, one of the ways that Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur describes how Krishna's leela is punctuated throughout the day is by the demons showing up because otherwise the boys would just keep playing all day long. And if the demon didn't show up to start the new 
chapter of the drama, then they would just keep going. But that <laughs> punctuates, and then Krishna kills a demon, and then they could take lunch and things like that. That was, a, I heard Gopi say that it's organized in such a way as the, as the demons show up just about time it's for lunch because they get so absorbed in their pastime, pastimes, they forget to eat. So then the demon comes, they kill him, and it's like, let's have lunch. Oh, okay, and then they have lunch. And the same thing, same thing when it comes time to go home, a demon comes, and they kill him, and then it's time to go home. Okay, then they go. I was thinking in the same line that you said, I heard another thing uh, from Vishwanath, and maybe it was through Gopi, and he said, actually, you know, the inherent intrinsic nature of Krishna's love with the gopis and vice versa and all the Vrajvasis, there it's completely pure. There's no such thing as, you know, impure feelings or impure anything. So I was thinking also that especially in the Parkya Rasa, you know, there's this I don't know if tension's the right word, but there's an excitement. You know, like conjugal love and married love, you know, you it's you know, the honeymoon and then everybody it's all romantic and that honeymoon's over. Honeymoon's over. And then after some time, you know, it gets a little bit every day every day it's same, 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 same. And then it tends to dampen the excitement. And the parkia ras, in order to keep the parkia ras going in in Braj, there's all these kinds of things going on. All these excitements, you know. Radharani's husband's there. He never even she never even touches his shadow, but he's there, you know. And it's always in order to excite more make more exciting, you know, different obstacles they have to go through. And so this is one that Krishna creates for himself for the gopis so that they can become more and more excited so that when they finally meet it will be off the charts. Wonderful. Chapter 33, Description of the Rasa Dance. Thus hearing the Supreme Personality of God at Krishna speaking to pacify them, the gopis became very much pleased. They became completely relieved of the great suffering of separation, not only by hearing the words of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but also by touching his hands and legs. After this, the Supreme Personality of Godhead began his Rasa Dance. A dance in the midst of many girls is called a rasa dance. So Krishna began to dance among the most beautiful and fortunate girls within the three worlds. The gopis of Vrindavan, who were so attracted to him, danced with Krishna hand in hand. Krishna's rasa dance should never be compared to any kind of material dance, such as a ball dance or a society dance. The rasa dance is a completely spiritual performance. In order to establish this fact, Krishna, the supreme mystic, expanded himself into many forms and stood before, beside each gopi, placing his hands on the shoulders of the gopis on both sides of him. He began to dance in their midst. The mystic expansions of Krishna were not perceived by the gopis because Krishna appeared alone to each of them. Each gopi thought that Krishna was dancing with her alone. Above that wonderful dance, flew many airplanes carrying the denizens of the heavenly planets who were very eager to see the wonderful dance of Krishna with the gopis. The Gandharvas and Kinaras began to sing and accompanied by their respective wives, all the Gandharvas began to shower flowers on the dancers. As the gopis and Krishna danced together, 
A very blissful musical sound was produced from the tinkling of their bells, ornaments and bangles. It appeared that Krishna was a greenish sapphire locket in the midst of a golden necklace decorated with valuable stones. While Krishna and the gopis danced, they displayed extraordinary bodily features, the movements of their legs, their placing their hands on one another, the movements of their eyebrows, their smiling, the movements of the gopis' breasts, clothes and earrings, their cheeks, their hair with flowers. As Krishna and the gopis sang and danced, these combined to appear like clouds, thunder, snow, and lightning. Krishna's bodily features appeared just like a group of clouds. The gopis' songs were like thunder. Their beauty appeared to be just like lightning in the sky, and the drops of perspiration visible on their faces appeared like falling snow. In this way, the gopis and Krishna fully engaged in dancing. The necks of the gopis became tinted with red due to their desire to enjoy Krishna more and more. To satisfy them, Krishna began to clap his hands in time with their singing. Actually, the whole world is full of Krishna's mm. singing, but it is appreciated in different ways by different kinds of living entities. This is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna is dancing and every living entity is also dancing, but there is a difference between the dancing in the spiritual world and that in the material world. This is expressed by the author of Chaitanya Charnamrita, who says that the master dancer is Krishna and everyone else is his servant. Everyone is trying to imitate Krishna's dancing. Those who are actually in Krishna consciousness respond rightly to the dancing of Krishna. They do not try to dance independently. But those in the material world try to imitate Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The living entities are dancing under the direction of Krishna's maya and are thinking that they are equal to Krishna. But this is not a fact. In Krishna consciousness, this misconception is absent. For a person in Krishna consciousness knows that Krishna is the Supreme Master and everyone else is his servant. One has to dance to please Krishna, not to imitate or attempt to become equal to the personality, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The gopis wanted to please Krishna and therefore, as Krishna sang, they responded and encouraged him by saying, Well done, well done. Sometimes they presented beautiful music for his pleasure and he responded by praising their singing. When some of the gopis became very tired from dancing and moving their bodies, they placed their hands on the shoulders of Sri Krishna. Then their hair loosened and flowers fell to the ground. When they placed their hands on Krishna's shoulder, they became overwhelmed by the fragrance of his body, which emanated from the lotus, other aromatic flowers, and the pulp of sandalwood. They became filled with attraction for him, and they began to kiss him. Some gopis touched Krishna cheek to cheek, and Krishna began to offer them chewed betel nuts from his mouth, which they accepted with great pleasure by kissing. And by accepting those betel nuts, the gopis spiritually advanced. The gopis became tired after long singing and dancing. Krishna was dancing beside them, and to alleviate their fatigue, they took Sri Krishna's hand and placed it on their raised breasts. Krishna's hand, as well as the breasts of the gopis, are eternally auspicious. Therefore, when they combined, both of them became spiritually enhanced. The gopis so enjoyed the company of Krishna, the husband of the goddess of fortune, 
that they forgot that they had any other husbands in the world. And upon being embraced by the arms of Krishna and dancing and singing with him, they forgot everything. Srimad Bhagavatam thus describes the beauty of the gopis while they were rasa dancing with Krishna. There were lotus flowers over both their ears and their faces were decorated with sandalwood pulp. They were tilak and there were drops of perspiration on their smiling mouths. From their feet came the tinkling of ankle, sound of ankle bells and bangles. The flowers within their hair were falling to the lotus feet of Krishna and he was very satisfied. As stated in the Brahma Sanghita, all these gopis are expansions of Krishna's pleasure potency. Touching their bodies with his hands and looking at their pleasing eyes, Krishna enjoyed the gopis exactly as a child enjoys playing with the reflection of his body in a mirror. When Krishna touched the different parts of their bodies, the gopis felt surcharged with spiritual energy. They could not adjust their loosened clothes, although they tried to keep them adjusted properly. Their hair and garments became scattered and their ornaments loosened as they forgot themselves in the company of Krishna. While Krishna was enjoying the company of the gopis in the rasa dance, the astonished demigods and their wives gathered in the sky. The moon, being afflicted with a sort of lust, began to watch the dance and became stunned with wonder. The gopis had prayed to the goddess Katyayani to have Krishna as their husband. Now Krishna was fulfilling their desire by expanding himself in as many forms as there were gopis and enjoying them exactly like a husband. Srila Shukadeva Goswami has remarked that Krishna is self-sufficient. He is Atmarama. He doesn't need anyone else for his satisfaction. But because the gopis wanted Krishna as their husband, he fulfilled their desire. When Krishna saw that the gopis were tired from dancing with him, he immediately began to wipe his hands over their faces so that their fatigue would be relieved. In order to reciprocate the kind hospitality of Krishna, the gopis began to look at him lovingly. They were overjoyed by the auspicious touch of the hand of Krishna. Their smiling cheeks shone with beauty and they began to sing the glories of Krishna with transcendental pleasure. Because the gopis were pure devotees, the more they enjoyed Krishna's company, the more they became enlightened with his glories, and thus they reciprocated with him. They wanted to satisfy Krishna by glorifying his transcendental pastimes. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the master of all masters, and the gopis wanted to worship him for his unusual exhibition of mercy upon them. The gopis and Krishna entered the water of the Jamuna just to relieve their fatigue from the rasa dance. The lily flower garlands around the necks of the gopis were strewn to pieces due to the gopis embracing the body of Krishna and the flowers were reddish from being smeared with the kunkum on their breasts. The bumblebees were humming, humming about in order to get honey from the flowers. Krishna and the gopis entered the water of the Jamuna just as an elephant enters a water tank with his many female companions. Both the gopis and Krishna forgot their real identities, playing in the water, enjoying each other's company and relieving the fatigue of rasa dancing. The gopis began to splash water on the body of Krishna, all the while smiling, and Krishna enjoyed this. As Krishna was taking pleasure in the joking words and splashing water, the demigods in the heavenly planets showered flowers. The demigods thus praised the super-excellent rasa dance of Krishna, the supreme enjoyer, 
and his pastimes with the gopis in the water of the Jamuna. After this, Lord Krishna and the gopis came out of the water and began to stroll along the bank of the Jamuna, where a nice breeze was blowing, carrying the aroma of different kinds of flowers over the water and land. While strolling on the bank of the Jamuna, Krishna recited various kinds of poetry. He thus enjoyed the company of the gopis in the soothing moonlight of autumn. <clears throat> Sex desire is especially excited in the autumn season. But the wonderful thing about Krishna's association with the gopis is that there was no question of sex desire. It was as clearly stated in the Bhagavad description by Sukadeva Goswami, Avarudha Sorata. The sex impulse was completely controlled. There is a distinction between Lord Krishna's dancing with the gopis and the ordinary dancing of living entities within the material world. In order to clear up further misconceptions about the rasa dance and the affairs of Krishna and the gopis, Maharaj Parikshit, the hearer of Srimad Bhagavatam, told Sugadev Goswami, Krishna appeared on the earth to establish the regulated principles of religion and to curb the predominance of irreligion. But the behavior of Krishna and the gopis might encourage irreligious principles in the material world. I am simply surprised that he would act in such a way, enjoying the company of others' wives in the dead of night. This statement of Maharaj Prikshit was very much appreciated by Shukadev Goswami. The answer anticipates the abominable acts of the Mayavadi impersonalists who placed themselves in the position of Krishna and enjoy the company of young girls and women. The basic Vedic injunctions never allow a person to enjoy sex with any woman except his own wife. Krishna's appreciation of the gopis appeared to be distinctly in violation of these rules. Maharaj Prichit understood the total situation from Shukadev Goswami, yet to further clarify the transcendental nature of Krishna and the gopis in the rasa dance, he expressed his surprise. This is very important to under to un, this is very important in order to check the unrestricted association with women by the Prakrita Sahajyas. In his statement, Maharaj Parikshit has used several important words which, clar which require clarification. The first word, Jagupsitam, means abominable. The first doubt of Maharaj Parikshit was as follows. Lord Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead who had advented himself to establish religious principles. Why then did he mix with others' wives in the dead of night and enjoy dancing, embracing, and kissing? According to the Vedic injunctions, this is not allowed. Also, when the gopis first came to him, he gave instructions to them to return to their homes, to call the wives of other persons or young girls and enjoy dancing with them is certainly abominable. According to the Vedas, why should Krishna have done this? Another word used here is 
Aptakama. Some may take it for granted that Krishna was very lusty among young girls, but Prikshit Maharaj said that this was not possible. He could not be lusty. First of all, from, a, from the material calculation, he was only eight years old. At that age, a boy cannot be lusty. Aptakama means that the Supreme Personality of Godhead is self-satisfied. Even if he were lusty, he doesn't need to take help from others to satisfy his lusty desires. The next point is that although not lusty himself, he might have been seduced by the lusty desire of the gopis. But Maharaj Parikshit then used another word, Yadupati, which indicates that Krishna is the most exalted personality in the dynasty of the Yadus. The kings in the dynasty of Yadu were considered to be the most pious, and their descendants were also like that. Having taken birth in that family, how could Krishna have been seduced even by the gopis? It is concluded, therefore, that it was not possible for Krishna to do anything abominable. But Maharaj Pariksit was in doubt as to why Krishna acted in that way. What was the real purpose? Another word Maharaj Pariksit used when he addressed Shukadev Goswami is suvrata, which means to take a vow to enact pious activities. Shukadev Goswami was an educated brahmachari under the and under the circumstances it was not possible for him to indulge in sex. This is strictly prohibited for brahmacharis. And what to speak of a brahmachari like Shukadev Goswami? But because the circumstances of the Rasa dance were very suspect, Maharaj Pariksit inquired for clarification from Shukadev Goswami. Shukadev Goswami immediately replied that transgressions of religious principles by the Supreme Controller testify to his great power. For example, fire can consume any abominable thing. That is the manifestation of the supremacy of fire. Similarly, the sun can absorb water from a urinal or from stool, and the sun is not polluted. Rather, due to the influence of the sunshine, the polluted contaminated place becomes disinfected and sterilized. One may also argue that since Krishna is the supreme authority, his activities should be followed. In answer to this argument, Shukadeva Goswami has very clearly said that the Ishwara, or supreme controller, may sometimes violate his own instructions, but this is possible only for the controller himself, not for the followers. Unusual and uncommon activities by the controller can never be imitated. Shukadeva Goswami warned that the conditioned followers who are not actually in control should never even imagine imitating the uncommon activities of the controller. A Mayavadi philosopher may falsely claim to be God or Krishna, but he cannot actually act like Krishna. He can persuade his followers to falsely imitate the Raza dance, but he is unable to lift Govardhan Hill. We have many experiences 
in the past of Mayavadi rascals who delude their followers by posing themselves as Krishna in order to enjoy Rasalila. In many instances, they were checked by the government, arrested, and punished. In Orissa, Thakur Bhaktivinoda punished a so-called incarnation of Vishnu who was imitating the Rasalila with young girls. There were many complaints against the so-called incarnation. At that time, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was a magistrate and the government deputed him to deal with that rascal and he punished him very severely. The Rasalila dance cannot be imitated by anyone. Shukadeva Goswami warns that one should not even think of imitating it. He specifically mentions that if out of foolishness one tries to imitate Krishna's Rasa dance, he will be killed, just like a person who wants to imitate Lord Shiva's drinking of an ocean of poison. Lord Shiva drank an ocean of poison and kept it within his throat. The poison made his throat turn blue, and therefore Lord Shiva is called Nilakanta. But if any ordinary person tries to imitate Lord Shiva by drinking poison or smoking ganja, he is sure to be vanquished and will die within a very short time. Lord Sri Krishna's dealing with the gopis occurred within a very short time. Lord Krishna's dealings with the gopis oh, occurred under... Oh, I'm sorry, I misread that. I'll, I have to read the last two sentences, sorry. But if any ordinary person tries to imitate Lord Shiva by drinking poison or smoking ganja, he is sure to be vanquished and will die within a very short time. Lord Sri Krishna's dealings with the gopis occurred under very special circumstances. Most of the gopis in their previous lives were great sages, expert in the study of the Vedas. And when Lord Krishna appeared as Lord Ramachandra, they wanted to enjoy with him. Lord Ramachandra gave him the benediction. Lord Ramachandra gave them the benediction that their desires would be fulfilled when he would appear as Krishna. Therefore, the desire of the gopis to enjoy the appearance of Lord Krishna was long cherished. So they approached Goddess Katyayani to have Krishna as their husband. There are many other circumstances which also testify to the supreme authority of Krishna and show that he is not bound by the rules and regulations of the material world. In special cases, he acts as he likes to favor his devotees. This is possible only for him because he is the supreme controller. People in general should follow the instructions of Lord Krishna as given in the Bhagavad Gita and should not even imagine imitating Lord Krishna in the Rasa dance. Krishna's lifting of Govardhan Hill and his killing of great demons like Putana are all obviously extraordinary activities. Similarly, the Rasa dance is also an uncommon activity and cannot be imitated by any ordinary man. An ordinary person engaged in his occupational duty, like Arjuna, should execute his duty for the satisfaction of Krishna. That is within his power. Now that's really nice. Listen to this. Everyone ready? Ready. An ordinary person engaged in his occupational duty, like Arjuna, should execute his duty for the satisfaction of Krishna. 
That is within his power. Arjuna was a fighter and Krishna wanted him to fight for his satisfaction. Arjuna agreed, although at first he was not willing to fight. Duties are required for ordinary persons. They should not jump up and try to imitate Krishna and indulge in Rasalila and thus bring about their ruin. One should know with certainty that Krishna had no personal interest in whatever he did for the benediction of the gopis. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, Namam kam karmani limpanti, everyone repeat. Namam karmani limpanti. What does it mean? I have no duty. I have no duty. I have to perform. Namam karmani limpanti. Krishna does not have any duty. He doesn't have anything that he has to do. Name karma palespiha itimam yo bijanati karma birnasabhajite. It means there's no work that affects me, nor do I aspire for the fruits of action. One who understands this truth about me also does not become entangled in the fruit of reactions of work. Narmam karma nilimpanti. Krishna never enjoys or suffers the results of his activities. Therefore, it is not possible for him to act irreligiously. He is transcendental to all religious duties and principles. He is untouched by the modes of material nature. He is the supreme controller of all living entities, whether in human society, in demigod society, or in heavenly planets, or in the lower forms of life. And he is also the supreme controller of material nature. Therefore, he has nothing to do with religious or irreligious principles. Shukadeva Goswami further concludes that the great sages and devotees who are washed clean of all conditioned life can move freely even within the contamination of material nature by keeping Krishna, the Supreme Personality of God, within their hearts. In this way, they also do not become subject to the laws of pleasure and pain in the modes of material nature. How then is it possible for Krishna, who appears by his own internal potency, to be subject to the laws of nature. In the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord clearly says that whenever he appears, he does so by his internal potency. He is not forced to accept the body by the laws of karma, like an ordinary living entity. Other, even, every other living entity is forced to accept a certain type of body by his previous actions. But when Krishna appears, he always appears in a body that is not forced upon him by the action of his past <coughs> deeds. His body is a vehicle for his transcendental pleasure pastimes, which are enacted by his internal potency. He has no obligation to the laws of karma. The Mayavadi monist must accept a certain type of body being forced by the laws of nature. Therefore, his claim to being one with Krishna or God is only theoretical. Such persons who claim to be equal with Krishna and indulge in rasa-lila create a dangerous situation for the people in general. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, has already, was already present as the Supersoul within the bodies of the gopis and their husbands. He is the guide of all living entities, as is confirmed in the Kata Upanishad, Nityo Nityanam Chetanash Chetananam. The Supersoul directs the individual soul to act, and the Supersoul is the actor and witness of all action. It is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita that Krishna is present in everyone's heart and that from him come all knowledge, remembrance, and forgetfulness. 
He is the original person to be known by Vedic knowledge. He is the author of the Vedanta philosophy, and he knows the Vedanta philosophy perfectly well. The so-called Vedantists and Mayavadis cannot understand Krishna as he is. They simply mislead their followers by imitating the actions of Krishna in an unauthorized way. Krishna, the super soul of everyone, is already within the body of everyone. Therefore, if he sees someone or embraces someone, there is no question of impropriety. Some ask that if Krishna is self-sufficient, why did he at all manifest the pastimes with the gopis, which are disturbing to the so-called moralists of the world? The answer is that such activities show special mercy to the fallen conditioned souls. The gopis are expansions of his internal energy, but because Krishna wanted to exhibit the rasalila, they appeared as ordinary human beings. In the material world, pleasure is ultimately manifested in the sex attraction between man and woman. The man lives simply to be, to be attracted by women, and a woman lives simply to be attracted by men. That is the basic principle of materialistic life. As soon as these attractions are combined, people become more and more implicated in material existence. In order to show them special favor, Krishna exhibited this Rasalila dance. It is just to captivate the conditioned souls. Since they are very much attracted by sex, they can enjoy the same life with Krishna and thus become liberated by the material, from the material condition. In the second canto, Srimad Bhagavatam Maharaj Prikshit also explains that the pastimes and activities of Lord Krishna are medicine for the conditioned souls. If they simply hear about Krishna, they become relieved of the material disease. They are addicted to material enjoyment and are accustomed to reading sex literature. They are addicted to material enjoyment and are accustomed to reading sex literature. But by hearing these transcendental pastimes of Krishna with the gopis, they will be relieved of material contamination. How people should hear from and from whom is also explained by Shukadeva Goswami. <clears throat> The difficulty is that the whole world is full of mayavadis and when they become professional reciters of Srimad Bhagavatam and when people without knowing the effect of the mayavadis... Edit, edit. The difficulty is that the whole world is full of mayavadis, some of whom become professional reciters of Srimad Bhagavatam. Some of whom become professional reciters of Srimad Bhagavatam and when people... And those who hear from such persons without knowing the effect of my philosophy become confused. Discussion of the Rasalila among people in general is discouraged because they are affected by the Mayavada philosophy. But if one who is advanced explains and people hear from him, certainly the hearers will be gradually elevated to the position of Krishna consciousness and liberated from materially contaminated life. Another important point is that none of the gopis who danced with Krishna were in their material bodies. They danced with Krishna in their spiritual bodies. All their husbands thought that their wives were sleeping by their sides. The so-called husbands of the gopis were already enamored with the influence of the external energy of Krishna. So by dint of this very energy, they could not understand that their wives had gone to dance with Krishna. What then is the basis of accusing Krishna of dancing with other wives? <laughs> the bodies of the gopis, which were their husbands, 
the bodies of the gopis, which were their husbands, were lying in bed, which were their husbands. The bodies of the gopis, which were their husbands, yes. were lying in bed, but the spiritual parts and parcels of Krishna were dancing with him. Krishna is the supreme person, the whole spirit, and he danced with the spiritual bodies of the gopis. There, if, if, see, if there, there's a there's a possessive got it. at the end of husbands, and got that's it. what makes it impossible. There is therefore no reason to accuse Krishna in any way. After the rasa dance was over, the night, a night of Brahma, a very, very long period, as mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, turned into the Brahma Muhurta. The Brahma Muhurta takes place about one and a half hours before sunrise. <clears throat> it is recommended that one should rise from bed at that time and after finishing daily ablutions, take to spiritual activities by performing Mangala Arti and chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. This period is very convenient for the execution of spiritual activities. When that auspicious moment arrived, Krishna asked the gopis to leave. Although his beloveds were not willing to quit his company, they were very obedient to him. As soon as Krishna asked them to go home, they immediately left and returned home. Shukadeva Goswami concludes this episode of the Rasa Lila by pointing out that if a person hears from the right source about the past science of Krishna, who is Vishnu himself, and the gopis, who are expansions of his energy, then he will be relieved of the most dangerous type of disease, namely lust. In other words, one who, is actu who actually hears the Rasa Lila will become completely freed from the lusty desire of sex life and elevated to the highest level of spiritual understanding. Generally, because they hear the Rasa Lila from Mayavadis, and they themselves are Mayavadis, people become more and more implicated in sex life. The conditioned soul should hear the Rasa Lila dance from an authorized spiritual master and be trained by him so that he can understand the whole situation. Thus, one can be elevated to the highest standard of spiritual life. Otherwise, one will be implicated. Material lust is a kind of heart. Shraddha, or faith, is the beginning. One who has developed his faith in Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Supreme Spirit Soul, can both describe and hear the Rasa Lila. Shukadev also uses the word Anushrinuyat. One must hear from the disciplic succession. Anu means following, and Anu also means always. So one must always follow the disciplic succession and not hear from any stray professional reciter, <laughs> whether a Mayavadi or an ordinary man. You're hearing from strays again? <laughs> Anushrinuyat means that one must hear from an authorized person who is in the disciplic succession and is always engaged in Krishna consciousness. When a person hears the Rasa Lila in, in this way, the effect will be sure. He will be elevated to the highest position of spiritual life. Shukadeva Goswami uses two specific words, bhaktim and param. Bhaktim param means execution of devotional service above the neophyte stage. Those who are simply attracted to temple worship but do not know the philosophy of bhakti are in the neophyte stage. That sort of bhakti is not the perfectional stage. The perfectional stage of bhakti or devotional service is completely free from material contamination. The most dangerous aspect of contamination is lust or sex life. Bhakti param, devotional service, is so potent 
that the more one advances in this line, the more he loses his attraction for material life. One who is actually deriving benefit from hearing the Rasalila dance surely achieves the transcendental position. He surely loses all traces of lust within his heart. Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur points out that according to the Bhagavad Gita, Brahma's day and Brahma's night are periods of solar years expanding to 4,300,000 multiplied by 1,000. According to Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, the Rasa dance was performed during the long period of Brahma's night, but the gopis could not understand that. In order to fulfill their desire, Krishna extended the night to cover such a, a great period of time. One may ask how this was possible, and Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur reminds us that Krishna, although bound by a small rope, could show his mother the whole universe within his mouth. How is this possible? The answer is that he can do anything for the pleasure of his devotees. Similarly, because the gopis wanted to enjoy Krishna, they were given the opportunity to associate with him for a long period. This was done according to his promise. When Krishna stole the garments of the gopis while they were taking a bath at Chiragat on the Jamuna, he promised to fulfill their desire in some future night. In one night, therefore, they enjoyed the company of Krishna as their beloved husband. But that night was not an ordinary night. It was a night of Brahma, lasting millions and millions of years. Everything is possible for Krishna, for he is the supreme controller. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 33rd chapter of Krishna description of the Rasa dance. Chapter 34 Vidyadra liberated and the demon Shakachuda killed. Once upon a time the cowherd men of Vrindavan headed by Nanda Maharaj, desired to go to Ambikavana to observe the Shiva Ratri ceremony. The Rasalila was performed during the autumn, and after that, the next big ceremony is Holi, or the Dolayatra ceremony. <clears throat> Between the Dolayatra ceremony and the Rasalila ceremony, there is an important ceremony called Shivratri which is especially observed by the Shaivites, or devotees, of Lord Shiva. Sometimes the Vaishnavas also observe this ceremony because they accept Lord Shiva as the foremost Vaishnava. But the function, <coughs> excuse me, but the function of Shivaratri is not observed very regularly by the Bhaktas, or devotees of Krishna. Under these circumstances, Srimad Bhagavatam states that Nanda Maharaj and the other cowherd men, once upon a time, desired. This means that they were not regularly observing the Shivaratri function, but that once upon a time, they wanted to go to Ambikavana out of curiosity. Ambikavana is somewhat <clears throat> is somewhere in Gujarat province, and it is said to be situated on the river Saraswati, 
Yet we do not find any Saraswati river in Gujarat province, although there is a river named Sabarmati. In India, all the big places of pilgrimage are situated on nice rivers like the Ganges, Yamuna, Saraswati, Narmada, Godavari, and Kaveri. Ambikavana was situated on the bank of the Saraswati, and Danda Maharaj and all the other cowherd men went there. They very devotedly began to worship the deity of Lord Shiva in Ambika. It is the general practice that wherever there is a temple of Lord Shiva, there must be another temple of Ambika or Durga, because Ambika is the wife of Lord Shiva and is the most exalted of chaste women. She doesn't live outside the association of her husband. After reaching Ambikavana, the cowherd men of Vrindavan first bathed themselves in the river Saraswati. <clears throat> if one goes to any place of pilgrimage, his first duty is to take a bath and sometimes to shave his head. That is the first business. After taking a bath, they worshipped the deities and then distributed charity in the holy places. According to the Vedic system, charity is given to the brahmanas. It is stated in the Vedic Shastras that only the brahmanas and the sannyasis can accept charity. The cowherd men from Vrindavan gave the brahmana, brahmanas cows decorated with golden ornaments and beautiful garlands. The brahmanas are given charity because they are not engaged in any business profession. They are supposed to be engaged in brahminical occupations, as described in the Bhagavad Gita. Namely, they must be very learned and must perform austerity and penances. Not only must they, they, them, not only must they themselves be learned, but they must also <coughs> teach others. <clears throat> brahmanas are not meant to be brahmanas alone. They should create other brahmanas also. If a man is found who, is, who agrees to become a brahmanas disciple, he is also given the chance to become a brahmana. The brahmana is always engaged in the worship of Lord Vishnu. Therefore, the brahmanas are eligible to accept all kinds of charity. But if the brahmanas receive excess charity, they are to distribute it for the service of Vishnu. <coughs> In the Vedic scriptures, therefore, one is recommended to give charity to the brahmanas, and by so doing, one pleases Lord Vishnu and all the demigods. The pilgrims take a bath, worship the deity, and give charity, and they also recommend and they, are, and they are also recommended to fast one day. They should go to a place of pilgrimage and stay there at least for three days. The first day is spent fasting, and at night they can drink a little water, because water does not break the fast. The cowherd men, headed by Nanda Maharaj, spent that night on the bank of the Saraswati. They fasted all day and drank a little water at night. But while they were taking rest, a great serpent from the nearby forest appeared before them and hungrily began to swallow up Nanda Maharaj. Nanda cried out helplessly, My dear son Krishna, 
please come and save me from this danger. This serpent is swallowing me. When Nanda Maharaj cried for help, all the cowherd men got up and saw what was happening. They immediately took burning logs and began to beat the snake to kill it. But in spite of being beaten with burning logs, the serpent was not about to give up swallowing Nanda Maharaj. <clears throat> At that time, Krishna appeared on the scene and touched the serpent with his lotus feet. Immediately upon touch, immediately on being touched by the lotus feet of Krishna, the serpent shed its reptilian body and appeared as a very beautiful demigod named Vidyadhara. His bodily features were so beautiful that he appeared to be worshipable. There was a luster and effulgence emanating from his body and he was garlanded with a gold necklace. He offered obeisances to Lord Krishna and stood before him with great humility. Krishna then asked the demigod, You appear to be a very nice demigod and to be favored by the goddess of fortune. <clears throat> How is it that you performed such abominable activities that you got the body of a serpent? The demigod then began to narrate the story of his previous life. My dear Lord, he said, in my previous life I was named Vidyadura and was known all over the world for my beauty. Because I was a celebrated personality, I used to travel all over. I used to travel all over in my airplane. While traveling, I saw a great sage named Angira. He was very ugly. And because I was very proud of my beauty, I laughed at him. Due to this sinful act, I was condemned by the great sage to assume the form of a serpent. One should note here that before being favored by Krishna, a person is always under the modes of material nature, however elevated he may be materially. Vidyadhara was a materially elevated demigod and he was very beautiful. He also held a great material position and was able to travel all over by airplane. Yet he was condemned to become a serpent in his next life. <clears throat> Any materially elevated person can be condemned to an abominable species of life if he is not careful. It is a misconception that after reaching the human body, one is never degraded. Vidyadhara himself stated that even though he was a demigod, he was condemned to become a serpent. But because he was touched by the lotus feet of Krishna, he immediately came to Krishna consciousness. He admitted, however, that in his previous life, he was actually sinful. A Krishna conscious person knows that he is always the servant of the servant of Krishna. He is most insignificant, and whatever he does, and whatever good he does, is by the grace of Krishna and the spiritual master. The demigod Vidyadhara continued to speak to Sri Krishna. Because I was very proud of the exquisite beauty of my body, he said, I derided the ugly features of the great sage, Angira. He cursed me for my sin, and I became a snake. 
Now I consider that this curse by the sage was not at all a curse. It was a great benediction for me. Had he not cursed me, I would not have assumed the body of a serpent and would not have been kicked by your lotus feet and thus freed from all material contamination. In material existence, four things are very valuable. To be born in a decent family, to be very rich, to be very learned, to be, and to be very beautiful. These are considered to be material assets. Unfortunately, without Krishna consciousness, these material assets sometimes become sources of sin and degradation. Despite Vidyadra's being a demigod <clears throat> and having a beautiful body, he was condemned to the body of a snake due to pride. Therefore, from this incident we can learn that those who are too proud of their material assets or who, or who, are, or who are inimical toward others are degraded to the bodies of snakes. A snake is considered to be the most cruel and envious living entity. But those who are human beings and are envious of others are considered to be mo even more vicious than snakes. The snake can be charmed or controlled by mantras or herbs. But a person who is envious cannot be controlled by anyone. My dear Lord, Vidyadra continued, Now, since I think I have become freed from all kinds of sinful activities, I am asking your permission to return to my abode, the heavenly planets. This request indicates that persons who are attached to fruitive activities, desiring promotion to the comforts of higher planetary systems, cannot achieve their ultimate goal of life without the sanction of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It is also stated in the Bhagavad Gita that the less intelligent want to achieve material benefits and therefore worship different kinds of demigods, but that they, are, but they actually get the benedictions from the demigods through the permission of Lord Vishnu or Krishna. Demigods have no power to bestow a material profit. Even if one is attached to material benedictions, he should worship Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and ask Him. Krishna is completely able to give even material benedictions. There is a difference, however, between asking material benedictions from the demigods and asking them from Krishna. Dhruva Maharaj worshipped the Supreme Personality of Godhead for a material benediction, but when he actually achieved the favor of the Supreme Lord and saw him, he was so satisfied that he refused to accept any material benediction. The intelligent person does not worship the demigods or ask favors from them. He directly becomes Krishna conscious, and if he has any desire for material benefit, he asks Krishna, not the demigods. Vidyadara, awaiting Krishna's permission to return to the heavenly planet, said, Now, because I have been touched by your lotus feet, I am relieved of all kinds of material pangs. You are the most powerful of all mystics. You are the original, supreme personality of Godhead. You are the master of all devotees. 
you're the proprietor of all planetary systems and therefore I am asking your permission. You may accept me as fully surrendered unto you. I know very well that persons who are constantly engaged in chanting your holy name attain release from all sinful reactions. And certainly persons who are fortunate enough to be personally touched by your lotus feet are freed. Therefore I am sure that I am now relieved of the curse of the Brahmana simply by seeing you and being touched by your lotus feet. <clears throat> in this way Vidyadhari got permission from Lord Krishna to return to his home in the higher planetary system. After receiving this permission, he circumambulated the Lord and offered his respectful obeisances unto him. And then he returned to his heavenly planet. Thus, Nanda Maharaj was relieved of the imminent danger of being devoured by the snake. The cowherd men who had come to execute the ritualistic function of worshipping Lord Shiva and Ambika finished their business and prepared to return to Vrindavan. While returning, they recalled the wonderful activities of Krishna. By relating the incident of Vidyadhara's deliverance, they became more attached to Krishna. They had come to worship Lord Shiva and Ambika, though the result was that they became more and more attached to Krishna. Similarly, the gopis worship goddess Katyayani to become more and more attached to Krishna. It is stated in the Bhagavad Gita that persons who are attached to worshipping demigods like Lord Brahma, Shiva, Indra and Chandra for some personal benefit are less intelligent and have forgotten the real purpose of life. But the coward men, inhabitants of Vrindavan, were no ordinary men. Whatever they did, they did for Krishna. If one worships demigods like Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma to become more attached to Krishna, that is approved. But if one goes to the demigods for some material, for some personal benefit, that is condemned. I always find it interesting that, like in the West, we didn't have demigods to worship. And I always found it odd that people would, or unbelievable practically, that they would be attached to worshiping demigods. But then being connected more to the Indian culture, I see that there are people have a really hard time giving up worshipping demigods. Like even when some people take to Christian consciousness, they have this sense like, okay, but I'm not giving up. <laughs> I still have to worship the devas. And uh, it's, a, it's a real attachment that they have. Did you ever have demigod worship in Switzerland? <clears throat> Well, every, every... Sir, it's a yes or no question. <laughs> every traditional culture has... Every traditional culture around the world has demigod worship. So, but we just kind of lost it in the recent generations. But if you go back 150, 200 years from the Nordic gods to the you know gods of Africa Greeks Greeks etc it was it was there all because I'm talking about modern day Western civilization no. I grew up in California I never no, heard concept. of a demigod in my life <laughs> <laughs> what the speaker got attached to worshiping them you know what I mean so this pagan worship yeah you mean 
Yeah, that was like Halloween. No, this, this pagan thing. Even that pagan. was just, pagan. I mean, not very serious. I mean, you say worship, it's not a very serious worship. Christmas is a retail holiday, mostly, you know. Are you counting that? Pumpkins? <laughs> anyway, I just, my main point is, I see that a lot of people are really attached to demigod worship. They, I mean, they really get attached to it. They have to do it. What is that all about? One thought I have is people worship politicians and Hollywood stars. And I know, I know. You can make that case because the living entity always wants to worship somebody, but I'm specifically talking about demigods. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you've seen it. Part of the culture, right? Indian culture? Yeah. Why do people get so attached? Also Chinese, Japanese. Chinese, Japanese. American. I'm talking about America. Why are they getting something from worshiping the demigods? Okay, tell us more. You, you, ne you, you never seen the, the fans of the NFL dress up? I mean, that's not like demigod. I don't know what is. No, it's different because they're worshiping demigods in order to get some benefit. You know, that's hero worship maybe, but I'm talking about people connecting to demigods because they feel that if they don't do it, they're going to get ruined in some way and that the demigods are actually protecting them and giving them some material benefit. The natives. The natives. Yeah, all the natives. Okay. All the parts of the world. So it works. Is that right? Does it work? I'm seriously asking why they become so attached to it. I was a couple of weeks in the middle someone asked what people shot on somebody asked do they Indian population who are very attached to the worship, they get any benefit. And, and he was reflecting, I said, I, I don't know how, what would they get? <laughs> because what kind of worship is it? It's just kind of some social event, they don't know what they're chanting. They do, it's just <coughs> like cinema songs, they have a good it's time a most of the time. Social. It's not a serious, dedicated. He said, if there is some something, they might get. Eventually. Well, I'm not claiming that they're getting anything. I'm just curious of why they're so attached. Maybe it's a psychological or sociological phenomenon, but I'd like to know more about it. Fear, is that what it is? Fear is a good part of it. Because if, if you don't do it, then you're going to be in trouble. Your family will disown you and you're... So like Krishna, when, the, when Lord Jaitanya was a boy, he used to see the young girls worshipping Katyayani, to get a husband, and you say, no, you should worship me. And they say, why should we do that? And you say, because I'll benedict you if you do. You'll get a really nice husband. If you don't, 
you're going to get some really old guy <laughs> who's poor, already has about five co-wives and everything like that. He was trying to, he scared them. That's what you're saying? It's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, why do Indians who, even after coming to Krishna consciousness, cannot give up their attachment? That's one part of it I'd like to know, yeah. What is that attachment? What do they get out of it? They keep them in the closet. So my answer to that is, my thought to that is that many Indians do give up their Indian worship. Some Indians may not be ready to receive the seed of pure faith. It's not in their karma yet to receive that pure bhakti lata beach. I, I have some, this is just an anecdote, anecdotal uh, historical event in which Srila Prabhupada was asked about this, the difference between Christianity and demigod worship. Hmm. And Srila Prabhupada said, actually, even though you can say that Christianity is closer in a sense because, you know, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said that Lord Jesus was a Shakti Vishavatar and all of that. But he said, demigod worship is superior. Demigod worship is superior to the Western religions <coughs> because <coughs> there's a system <coughs> in the Gita it says, Devan Devitanam Tediva Bhaviyantava. Paras Param Bhavyanta Shreya Paramabhamshata. So they get they get accustomed to being seeing <coughs> higher beings as their authorities. And therefore they uh, it brings them to the point of surrendering to Brahmanas who were conducting the sacrifices even if they're attached. And that helps them. It actually helps them. But if they keep on doing that after they have come in contact with pure Krishna consciousness, that, that can become a problem. And therefore, Krishna, in the beginning of the Gita, <coughs> when he was, he was appealing to Arjuna in different, different ways, he said, Sahasa Yuga Pariyantam Aharyad Brahmanovidu. Oh no, that's the wrong one. Sahasra, what is that verse? The third chapter? So Krishna actually set up the system. Here are the demigods, here are the sacrifices, you perform sacrifices. I mean, if you look at the Karmakanda section of the Vedas, it's 95% Karmakanda. So I think that you can say, that they're very attached to it because it was created by Krishna and it's mainly that in the Vedas and it's only very rare persons who get the opportunity to perform pure devotional service. Well, that's uh, also confirmed in the Upadeshamrita, Karmi Vyaparito Hare Priyataya Vyaktim Yayurgyaninas Prabhupada says in the purport is describing the gradation of 
those who are advanced, starts with karmi bya. He says the karmis uh, are on the lowest land end, but in the purport, Prabhupada says the karmis are, make no mistake, they're dear to the Lord because they're following the system. Krishna says they're all magnanimous, those four persons who come to me. Yeah, but I'm talking, you were talking about demigod worshippers as distinct from people who come to Krishna. True. But the point, I'm just supporting your point that people who are elevationists... And I agree with everything you say. Yeah. Okay. After this incident, on a very pleasant night, Krishna and his elder brother, Balaram, who are inconceivably power, powerful, went to the forest of Vrindavan. They were accompanied by the damsels of Rajabhumi, and they began to enjoy their company. The young damsels of Raja were very nicely dressed and anointed with pulp, sandalwood, and decorated with flowers. The moon was shining in the sky, surrounded by glittering stars. The breeze was blowing, bearing the aroma of malika flowers, and the bumblebees were mad after the aroma. Taking advantage of the pleasing atmosphere, Krishna and Balaram began to sing very melodiously. The damsels became so absorbed in their rhythmical song that they almost forgot themselves, and their hair loosened, their clothes slackened, and their garlands began to fall to the ground. At that time, while Krishna, Balaram, and the damsels were so much absorbed, almost in madness, a demoniac associate of Kuvera, the treasurer of the heavenly planets, appeared on the scene. The demon's name was Shankachuda, because of his head, there was because on his head there was a valuable jewel resembling a conch shell. Just as the two sons of Kuvera had been puffed up over the, their wealth and opulence and did not care for Narada Muni's presence, this Shankachuda was also puffed up over mature opulence. He thought that Krishna and Balaram were two ordinary coward boys enjoying the company of many beautiful girls. Generally, in the material world, a person with riches thinks that all beautiful women should be enjoyed by him. Shankachuda also thought that since he belonged to the rich community of Kuvera, he, not Krishna and Balaram, should enjoy the company of so many beautiful girls. He therefore decided to take charge of them. He appeared before Krishna, Balaram, and the damsels of Raja and began to lead the girls away to the north. He commanded them as if he were their proprietor and husband, despite the presence of Krishna and Balaram. Being forcibly taken away by Shankachuda, the damsels of Raja called out the names of Krishna and Balaram for protection. The two brothers immediately began to follow them, taking up big logs of shawl wood in their hands. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, they called to the gopis. We are coming at once to chastise this demon. Very quickly they reached Shankachuda. Thinking the brothers too powerful, Shankachuda left the company of the gopis and ran in fear for his life. And, but Krishna would not let him go. He entrusted the gopis to the care of Balaram and followed Shankachuda wherever he fled. Krishna wanted to take the valuable jewel resembling a conch shell from the head of the demon. After following him a very short distance, Krishna caught him, struck his head with his fist and killed him. He then took the valuable jewel and returned. In the presence of all the damsels of Raja, he presented the valuable jewel to his elder brother, Balaram. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport 
of the 34th chapter of Krishna, Vijadra liberated and the demon Shankachuda killed. I seem to recall from this section that the reason that he gave it to Balaram was because if he gave it to any of the gopis, they would have, um, there would have been a Rivalry. sense of envy that, you know, why he got it, why she got it and not me. So he gave it to Balaram. Then, Balaram gave it to? And then Balaram gave it to? Is this the conch he was blowing on the battlefield? No, 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 no. This is the jewel. Jewel in the shape of a jewel that looked like a conch. Then he gave it to? Who did he give it to? Balaram. He already gave it to Balaram. Yes, yeah, so Balaram gave it to somebody else. Marumandal, no? I think. Marumandal maybe gave it to Radharani. Because it ended up with Radharani. Yeah. But if he, gave, he gave up with a neutral party so that yeah. no one thinks that this Balaram was favoring him. Something like that. This is my memory. Well, that's what I just said. <coughs> did you? Yeah. Isn't it? I'm just trying to confirm. You're just trying to help? Yeah, I'm just trying to help you out here. Help you out here. You know? Like echo. Trying to help him out. What? Echo, echo, echo. I'm echoing to help him out. Hold on. I'm almost there. All right. Next. <laughs> Shankachuda slain. Right. We're getting there, we're getting there. Okay, here we go. Having killed the demon, Shankachuda, and taken away his shining jewel, Lord Krishna gave it to his elder brother with great satisfaction as the gopis watched. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, to prevent rivalry among the gopis who were thinking Krishna will give the jewel to me because I am the most favorite. Krishna happily gave the jewel to Balaram. However, later Balaram gave the effulgent jewel to Radha, the most favored object of Krishna's affection. Uh, case closed. Okay. <laughs> I rest your case. Chapter 35, yes, the sir. gopis. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> you think you're trying to get away from something? And get away from something or something over here? Is that what's going on? Coming down the pipe? <clears throat> Chapter 35. The gopis' feelings of separation. Don't blame me for wanting to read it. Can't help. Can't what you say. <clears throat> the gopis of Vrindavan were so attached to Krishna that they were not satisfied simply with the rasa dance at night. They wanted to associate with him and enjoy his company during the daytime also. When Krishna went to the forest with his cowherd boyfriends and cows, the gopis did not physically take part, but their hearts went with him. And because their hearts went, they were able to enjoy his company through strong feelings of separation. To acquire this strong feeling of separation is the teaching of Lord Chaitanya and his direct disciples, the six Goswamis. When we are not in physical contact with Krishna, we can associate with him, like the gopis, through feelings of separation. 
Krishna's transcendental form, qualities, pastimes, and entourage are all identical with Him. There are nine different kinds of devotional service. Devotional service to Krishna in feelings of separation elevates the devotee to the highest perfectional level, to the level of the gopis. It is stated in Srinivacharya's prayer to the six Goswamis that they left the material opulence of government service and the princely status of life and went to Vrindavan where they lived just like ordinary mendicants begging from door to door. But they were so much enriched with the gopis' feelings of separation that they enjoyed transcendental pleasure at every moment. Similarly, when Lord Chaitanya was at Jagannath Puri, he was in the role of Radharani, feeling separation from Krishna. Those who were in the disciplic succession of the Madhva, Gaudiya Sampradaya, should always feel separation from Krishna. Worship his transcendental form and discuss his transcendental teachings, his pastimes, his qualities, his entourage, and his association. That will enrich the devotees to the highest perfectionals, the highest devotional perfection. Feeling constant separation while engaged in the service of the Lord is the perfection of Krishna consciousness. The gopis used to discuss Krishna amongst themselves and their talks were as follows. My dear friends, one gopi said, do you know that when Krishna lies on the ground, he rests on his left elbow and his head rests on his left hand? He moves his attractive eyebrows while playing his flute with his delicate fingers and the sound he produces creates such a nice atmosphere that the denizens of the heavenly planets who travel in space with their wives and beloveds stop their airplanes for they are stunned by the vibration of the flute. The wives of the, de the, wives of the demigods who are seated in the plains then become very much ashamed of their singing and musical qualifications. Not only that, but they become afflicted with conjugal love and their hair in tight clothes immediately loosen. Another gopi said, My dear friends, Krishna is so beautiful that the goddess of fortune always remains on his chest and he is always adorned with a golden necklace. Beautiful Krishna plays his flute in order to enliven the hearts of many devotees. He is the only friend of the suffering living entities. When he plays his flute, all the cows and other animals of Vrindavan, although engaged in eating, simply take a morsel of food in their mouths and stop chewing. Their ears raise up and they become stunned. They do not appear alive, but like painted animals. Krishna's flute playing is so attractive that even the animals become enchanted and what to speak of ourselves. Another gopi said, my dear friends, not only living animals, but even inanimate objects like the rivers and lakes of Vrindavan also become stunned when Krishna passes with peacock feathers on his head and his body smeared with the minerals of Vrindavan. With leaves and flowers decorating his body, he looks like some hero. When he plays on his flute and calls the cows with Balaram, the river Jamuna stops flowing and waits for the air to carry dust from his lotus feet. Mm -hmm. 
But the river Jamuna is unfortunate like us. It does not get Krishna's mercy. The river simply remains stunned, stopping its waves, just as we also stop crying for Krishna in expectation. In the absence of Krishna, the gopis were constantly shedding tears, but sometimes when they expected that Krishna was coming, they would stop crying. But when they saw that Krishna was not coming, then again they would become frustrated and begin to cry. Krishna is the original personality of Godhead, the origin of all Vishnu forms, and the cowherd boys are all demigods. So just as Lord Vishnu is always worshipped and surrounded by different demigods like Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, Indra, Chandra, and others, when Krishna traveled through the Vrindavan forest or walked on Govardhana hill, he was accompanied by the cowherd boys. While walking, he played his flute just to call the cows. Just by his association, the trees, plants, and other vegetation in the forest immediately became Krishna conscious. A Krishna conscious person sacrifices everything for Krishna. Although the trees and plants were not very advanced in consciousness by the association of Krishna and his friends, they also became Krishna conscious. They then wanted to deliver everything, whatever they had, namely their fruits, flowers, and the honey incessantly falling from their branches. When Krishna walked on the bank of the Jamuna, he was seen nicely decorated with tilak on his face. He was garlanded with different kinds of forest flowers, and his body was smeared with the pulp of sandalwood and tulsi leaves. <clears throat> the bumblebees became mad after the fragrance and sweetness of the atmosphere and began to hum. Being pleased by the humming sound of the bees, Krishna would play his flute, and together the sounds became so sweet to hear that aquatic birds like cranes, swans, and ducks were charmed. Instead of swimming or flying, they became stunned. They closed their eyes and entered a trance of meditation in worship of Krishna. One gopi said, My dear friends, Krishna and Balaram are nicely dressed with earrings and pearl necklaces. They enjoy themselves on the top of Govardhan Hill, and everything becomes absorbed in transcendental pleasure when Krishna plays on his flute, charming the whole creation charming the whole created manifestation. When he plays, the clouds stop their loud thundering out of fear of disturbing the vibration of his flute. Mm -hmm. Instead, they respond with mild thunder and so congratulate Krishna, their friend. Mm -hmm. Krishna is accepted as the friend of the cloud because both the cloud and Krishna satisfy the people when they are disturbed. Mm -hmm. When the people are burning due to excessive heat, the cloud satisfies them with rain. Similarly, when people in materialistic life become disturbed by the blazing fire of material pangs, Krishna consciousness gives them relief like a cloud. The cloud and Krishna, having the same bodily color also, are considered to be friends. Desiring to congratulate its superior friend, the cloud poured not water but small flowers and covered the head of Krishna like, just like an umbrella to protect him from the scorching sunshine. One of the gopis told Mother Yashoda, My dear mother, your son is very expert among the cowherd boys. He knows all the different arts of how to tend the cows and how to play the flute. He composes his own songs, and to play them, he puts his flute to his mouth. When he plays, either in the morning or in the evening, all the demigods, including Lord Shiva, Brahma, Indra, and Chandra, bow their heads and listen with great attention. Although they are very learned and expert, they cannot understand the musical arrangements of Krishna's flute. They simply listen attentively and try to understand, but they become bewildered 
and nothing more. I just it occurred to me. It always seems that in in human society that especially musicians become very dear to people in general. His the vibration somehow rather like affects their brings out something in them that is very um, pleasurable. And I remember him thinking how it's a perverted reflection because Krishna's the original musician. How much more so, you know, it is with Krishna playing his flute. I mean, I'm just saying you can, everyone could probably identify with that feeling of being attached to a certain musician and uh, becomes an iconic figure in the music, everyone identifies with it. But then that same kind of feeling, intense appreciation for a musician, which eventually the person dies or whatever, but if that's the same kind of mood is, of attachment is there for Krishna, then no one will ever be disappointed. It has become more and more intense. He, he says, because Mother showed us saying he writes his own, he composes his own songs. <laughs> like that. And then he plays them on his flute. You know, like a teenager, you know, like becomes a big idol, writing his own songs and everything like that. And then becomes popular. And in Vrindavan, Krishna writes his own songs, plays the flute, everyone becomes attached to his music. And it's the main way that he actually unites everybody. The flute is the favorite attendant. It's in that song. Mm. So at the end of Brahma Samhita, Shriya Kanta Kanta Parama Purusha Kalpataravoduma Bhumishchintamani Ganamitayamambhajam Kataganam Natyam Gamanam Apivam Shri Priyasaki Chirarandam Jyoti Paramapitaraswajyam Napicha Sayatra Shirabdi Saravati Suravibhyasya Sumahan Nimesharjyakyova Vratitinahya Hiyatrapi Samayaha there it says, the flute is the, the favorite attendant. Vamshi Priyasaki. Vamshi Priyasaki. Another gopi said, My dear friends, when Krishna returns home with his cows, the footprints of the soles of his feet with flag, thunderbolt, trident, and lotus flower relieve the pain the earth feels when the cows traverses. He walks in a stride which is so attractive and he carries his flute. Just by looking at him, we become lusty to enjoy his company. At that time, our movements cease. We become like trees and stand perfectly still, unaware that our hair and clothes are loosening. Krishna had many thousands of cows, and they were divided into groups according to their colors. They were also differently named according to color. When he would prepare to return from the pasturing ground, he would gather all the cows. As Vaishnavas count 108 beads, which represent the 108 individual gopis, so Krishna would count on 108 beads to count the different groups of cows. <laughs> <laughs> 
When Krishna returns, he is garlanded with tulsi leaves. A gopi described him to a friend. He puts his hand on the shoulder of a cowherd boyfriend and begins to blow his transcendental flute. The wives of the black deer become enchanted upon hearing the vibration of this flute, which resembles the vibration of the veena. The deer come to Krishna and become so charmed that they stand still, forgetting their homes and husbands. Like us, who were enchanted by the ocean of the transcendental qualities of Krishna, the she-deer become enchanted by the vibration of his flute. Another gopi told Mother Yashoda, My dear mother, when your son returns home, he decorates himself with the buds of the kunda flower, and just to enlighten and gladden his friends, he blows his flute. The breeze blowing from the south creates a pleasing atmosphere because it is fragrant and very cool. Minor demigods like the Gandharvas and Siddhas take advantage of this atmosphere and offer prayers to your son by sounding their bugles and drums. Krishna is very kind to the inhabitants of Brajabhumi, Vrindavan, and when he returns with his cows and friends, he is remembered as the lifter of Govardhan Hill. Taking advantage of this opportunity, the most exalted demigods like Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva come down to offer their evening prayers and they accompany the cowherd boys in glorifying the qualities of Krishna. Krishna is compared to the moon, born from the ocean of the womb of Devaki. When he returns in the evening, it appears that he is fatigued, but he still, but he, but still, but he still tries to gladden the inhabitants of Vrindavan by his auspicious presence. When Krishna returns, garlanded with flowers, his face looks beautiful, adorned with golden earrings. He walks into Vrindavan with a stride like the elephants and slowly enters his home. Upon his return, the men, women and cows of Vrindavan immediately forget the scorching heat of the day. Such descriptions of Krishna's transcendental pastimes and activities were remembered by the gopis during his absence from Vrindavan. They give us some idea of how attractive Krishna is, not only to human beings, but to all animate and inanimate objects. In Vrindavan, everyone and everything is attracted to Krishna, including the trees, the plants, the water, and animals, like the deer and cows. That is the perfect description of Krishna's all-attractiveness. The example of the gopis is very instructive to persons who are trying to be absorbed in Krishna consciousness. One can very easily associate with Krishna simply by remembering his transcendental pastimes. Everyone has a tendency to love someone. That Krishna should be the object of love is the central point of Krishna consciousness. By constantly chanting the Hare Krishna mantra and remembering the transcendental pastimes of Krishna, one can be fully in Krishna consciousness. That one can be fully in Krishna consciousness and thus make his life sublime and fruitful. Thus in the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 35th chapter of Krishna, the gopis' feelings of separation.
expanding on the point that you were talking about, I left how was talking about how the clouds, really, the sound would become less. And I was just thinking about the Mangalartik in the morning, or like Tulsi Puja in the morning, when the singer and the Pujari can align the offering with certain parts of the song perfectly. And how it makes it so much more beautiful for the pleasure of Krishna, for the pleasure of Krishna's devotees. And how that when that exchange there and there's a harmony between the two, the worship and the singing, it's just it helps purify the consciousness in, in a nicer way. And so I was just thinking of that you know in the spiritual world everything is very harmonious with each other for the pleasure of Krishna. It's more better. More better. That's what you're saying, it's more better. <laughs> Consciousness. Consciousness. Hare Krishna, in the first part of the reading today, it just struck me when it said that also the good karma got burned up. Yeah. Just, sometimes you think like, oh yeah. I got to accrue some sukriti, some piety, yeah. some punya. But that's going to hold us up, that's going to get us stuck here. So much for demigod worship. Absolutely. Because once you you got some you got something on your prepaid card, <laughs> you got a few gift cards, a few vouchers. You think like I gotta go to cash it in. I gotta you know avail myself of this opportunity because I have I have this option. But it's gotta go. We gotta let go of those options if we are to dedicate ourselves exclusively to Krishna. So I just thought that was interesting that it's mentioned. Yeah, that ties, in, that, that ties into the demigod worship thing that we were talking about before. Well, you know? I don't know. I mean, a lot of, like you get frequent flyer miles in an airline. Yeah. The airline goes out of business. There was another airline that went out of business recently. It left about 40,000 people in the lurch. They all had frequent Thomas miles. Cook. The fifth canto probably says that this human life Material world's opportunity for the living entity to close down its business in the material world. <laughs> I was thinking those little pan shops, you know, where they have they sell a little people nut. It's like, why bother, man? You know, oh, <laughs> it's man. a waste of time sitting in there. But even that, or any of the big corporations, it's the same thing. It's a little pan shop here in, in, in the material world, and it's maybe a little chance to shut it down. But if you, you know, if you got those. You just shut down the business. Anecdote, story, 1973, morning walk, Shevity Hills Park. Prabhupada's talking about material existence and how sex life is the basic principle of material existence. So one of the devotees on the morning walk said, Prabhupada, if we all stopped having sex, then the whole material world wouldn't, it wouldn't be able to exist because that's how living beings are produced. And Prabhupada said, yes, shut it down. <laughs> Just like that. That's it. And then he said it's like a, a, like, a, like a mustard seed in a bag full of mustard seeds. Who will know the difference? <laughs> and on that note, I'll have to shut down tonight's reading for now. We thank everyone for joining us here in the live Govardhan Studios. For those who have joined us online from various places around the world to hear this transcendental vibration. I personally found that section about the cloud, being friends with Krishna, mm -hmm. and then toning down its thundering mm -hmm. just to praise mm -hmm. his 
flute playing, showering flowers, and shower little flowers, and also how they there's a camaraderie there because you know they both have the same kind of look, color, and everything like that. It's just so like Chris is so friendly, yeah. and with all living entities, he has some camaraderie that's really beautiful. Not to the Armarman, 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 not to the Armarman.